Hello, everyone. I'm Priest Willis, and this is Missions and Marketplace Podcast, episode number 43. Today, I'm joined by Quincy Larson. Quincy is a former teacher and school director who transitioned into a career in tech. He is the creator of FreeCodeCamp.com, which is an open source community of over 500,000 people who learn to code while building projects for nonprofits. Quincy first became interested in tech while working in China as a school director. During this time, his focus on using technology to increase efficiency led to a career change. Back in California, Quincy began attending meetups and hackathons as often as he could. His networking efforts led him to his first tech job and eventually to his founding of FreeCodeCamp.com. The reason why I thought Quincy would be a good guest for you guys is because I want you to see how many opportunities there are to learn about coding out there. And it doesn't cost you a lot. We've heard a lot about boot camps and code camps that cost thousands of dollars. And here Quincy has a solution that is free, which helps you with front end development. So if you're trying to build a mobile app or something along those lines for your business, this is definitely the podcast for you. Without further ado, here is the director of freecodecamp.com, Quincy Larson. Welcome to Missions and Marketplace Podcast. Join us as we talk to business and thought leaders to discuss their passions in and outside of business and how it drives them to give and be citizens of goodwill. Let's get started. Hey guys, check it out. I got a great offer from a great new partner. Their name is Skinny and Company. Check out skinnyandcompany.com and use the coupon code MISSION20 to get 20% off your whole order. That's right, 20% off your whole order. Skinnyandcompany.com is number one with coconut oil lovers and consumers that prefer minimal ingredients and individuals looking for personal care products that are super moisturizing and do not leave your skin dry. Everything they do is chemical free and they use less ingredients. It's all natural. It's made by them. I've used their pulling. Uh, it really is a great product. Check out skinnyandcompany.com. Use the coupon code MISSION20 to get 20% off your whole order. If you want to earn some extra cash, join their affiliate program. Scroll down to the bottom on their footer page, click on where it says affiliates and sign up. On all the sales that you create, you'll get 15% of those sales. So you can kind of pay for it yourself. Just trying to give you some hustle. Check out skinnyandcompany.com. Hey, Quincy, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Priest. Yeah, I'm excited to get you on. What you have is really valuable and the audience is going to see here how it's going to be able to help them. So if they're in a job right now that they kind of want to move around in or they're just kind of stuck in the middle, I think you really have some good information that's going to touch the hearts of many of these entrepreneurs and people looking for business out here. Awesome. I'm pumped. Let's do this. Yeah. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm Quincy Larson. I started FreeCodeCamp.com, which is is a popular place for people to learn to code and practice coding by building projects for nonprofits and then um, get a developer job. Basically, like you get all the uh, knowledge, all the practice you need to be able to go out and get a developer job. We've had more than 
4,000 people who've gone through our program go out and get developer jobs that we know of. <laughs> I suspect it's a lot more, but that's how many are in our uh, LinkedIn alumni network that have gotten their first developer job. Then we have thousands, like 5,000 people who've gotten even better developer jobs uh, as a result of having gone through our uh, curriculum. So That's really amazing for people to kind of go through this curriculum. And we'll talk a little bit about it as we get into free code camp and what it is and how it can actually help people. But where did you initially get your start? Where did you go to school and what ultimately oh, led you to this point? So I'm from Oklahoma City and I grew up and uh, went to public university, University of uh, Central Oklahoma, which is a big state school out here. Mm-hmm. And along the way, I just got very interested in East Asian languages and I was working as a journalist. I worked at a whole bunch of different newspapers throughout college and for a while after college. And then I decided, well, clearly all the action is happening in the business world, not in the journalism world. The journalism <laughs> world's kind of, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's kind of a sunset industry, at least in its current form uh, with the old newspapers and TV channels. And I wanted to jump to the next thing. And the next thing seemed to be China and globalization. And I had already studied a lot of Japanese and, and I, so I started booking up on Chinese. Uh, and then I went overseas and did an international MBA. And while I was in China, I also did an intensive Chinese program. So I learned Mandarin out there. I was the only Westerner on a campus of about 20,000 Chinese and just basically spoke Chinese all the time. I met my wife there. Uh, She was one of my grad school classmates. What was that Uh, like? What was the dynamic like being the only Westerner where you're, I mean, 20,000, first of all, is a lot, but just to be the only one is a pretty interesting perspective. So what was it like for you? Oh, it was, it was pretty surreal because everybody was interested in learning about the American. It was like a very positive kind of interest. I didn't encounter any negative sentiment at all. Everybody just wanted to like hang out and learn more about America and learn more about uh, what Americans were like, practice their English and stuff. So it was just a profoundly positive experience. And uh, I would strongly recommend if anybody is at a point in their life when they don't have kids, uh, they don't have like a mortgage or a whole lot of obligations, if they can go over to another country and just hang out and like learn the language and maybe teach English, or if you've got some savings, a lot of these places aren't that expensive, but China wasn't that expensive. I was able to live for significantly less in the city in China. I was in Tianjin than I was living in Oklahoma City. So it was basically, I saved money by going to China and studying abroad. <laughs> How yeah. much is school? Is it, if you had to put it in comparison? So uh, the reason why this is so interesting to me, Quincy, is because I've done work with Lenovo, which is a Chinese-based company. I read the book by Henry Kissinger called On China, um, just because that it's a strong market. There's a lot of things happening there in terms of business, especially if you want to kind of globalize yourself, if that's even a word in a sense. So making yourself more valuable just in the market in general. And I also agree with you. I think people should look at Singapore, Philippines, and other areas to put themselves out there. But when you look at school, Quincy, how much were you paying for school? Was it half of what you essentially would pay here? Because I think this all ties into free code camp, and I'll tell you why shortly. But um, I'll, well, I'll tell you now, I'll save you the suspense. I think the cost of schools are insane. I have two kids in college, and I think oh it's, it's absolute robbery short of the gun. But just tell me, how much does it cost, or how much you said you saved? What did you save uh, exactly? So I was technically going to an American university, but when I went to the American university, I didn't have to pay any of the student fees. I just had to pay the raw tuition because I wasn't in another country consuming these courses. The U.S. professors would fly over for 10 days. So you had 
you had 10 days to read the book, you had 10 days of lectures, and then you had 10 days to prepare for the final. And then you started the cycle over again, every one class a month. So I was doing that at night. And then during the day, I'd go to this intensive Mandarin program. I think for an entire semester of the intensive Mandarin program, I may have spent the equivalent of like 120 US dollars or something ridiculous like that. Like wow. this is like all day. Like you go there at 8 a.m. and everybody's like got their little breakfast from the convenience store and, and they're ready to learn. And then all the way through like 3 p.m. Basically, everybody was Korean um, in those classes. There were a few Japanese, but basically just a ton of people who came to China to learn Chinese and try to understand uh, the language so they could work in the Chinese market. And then, um, you know, it was on a university campus. And then at night, like the American University, uh, Oklahoma City University had a relationship with Tianjin uh, Finance and Economics University. So th that's how the professors work. But yeah, to answer your question, like the actual programs in China are incredibly inexpensive. And I think that I don't want to go too deep into higher education. It's something I'm very passionate and interested in. I think that there are a lot of innovative programs that Arizona State University is doing, for example, that are driving the cost of higher education back down to where it should be, back down to where it was before this massive inflation in the cost of education that we experienced over the last 20 years. I, I'm a firm believer in higher education as well. I just think that somehow the education system was somewhat stagnant because, and you've heard this statement probably before, we created a lot of workers, but we didn't create critical thinkers or entrepreneurs in a sense. So I was thinking for the price and for what we're pumping out of there was sometimes just an embarrassment. That's not a knock on the children or excuse me, the kids and young adults, but that's more of a knock on just our system and our thought process, how we didn't advance ourselves. So I can always appreciate when someone kind of collects themselves from a worldly perspective and study other languages and not be so egotistical to think, I know English and everybody around me needs to know English, but you kind of open yourself up, which I think makes for better learning, you know, better listeners, better communication. It creates the whole system for you. So absolutely. And one thing I'll, I'll tell you is it just made me so humble. Like when every single conversation you have with every single person around you, you're basically on the defensive from the very first time you open your mouth, like speaking your uh, very mediocre Chinese and looking at their facial expression and trying to gauge from their facial expression whether they actually understand what you're saying. <laughs> Man, it is so humbling. It's like being a kid again and just like you feel really helpless in it, at people's at the whims of their goodwill and their patience. That was just so invaluable having that perspective because that's what so many immigrants experience when they come to America. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I think that humility is exactly, you know, you're able to give that same grace to someone else when they come to America and come from other countries. You know how it feels to be kind of the quote unquote outsider. So I think that's a really good perspective. So Quincy, you go to school. You started off again at University of Central Oklahoma. You go to Tianjin, which has this connection or bridge with Oklahoma City. And then what happens next when you get out of college? Because your focus was finance and economics, correct? That's correct. Yeah, I got an MBA with an emphasis in finance. Basically, I learned a tremendous amount during that period of time. Of course, I got married. My wife was also in the same program. So I had some time to kill. And basically, we were waiting for her to be able to get her visa to come to the U.S. So I had been teaching. I taught like kids while I was going to university and stuff and was an experienced teacher. So I went and started teaching English and I taught engineers from other countries, like Brazilian engineers. I taught them English because English is kind of the language of business even over in China. So everybody's learning English. And so all the expats from all around the world needed to improve their English. So I taught them. 
I also taught a lot of Chinese kids. Basically, that additional experience, when I moved back to the U.S., I was able to leverage my business background, like my at least theoretical understanding of business uh, that I got from the MBA, and then all the teaching experience I had to be able to get a job as a school director. And that's what I did for the next four or five years, was just run schools. What was kind of your role as a school director? Well, basically, it's it's like being the principal of a school, except I was teaching at schools that were adult-focused. So people who were getting ready to go into university, I was still teaching intensive English. So I had an instructional staff, about 20 people that I managed. I had an admin staff, about four or five people. And then I also had, you know, a dormitory that I managed. I had uh, programs to pick students up at the airport and take them to the dormitories. <laughs> I had to manage all the logistics. I had to do all the payroll. I had to do all of the uh, immigration paperwork for the students. And then, of course, I had to ensure that academic standards were adhered to. And, and then I had to manage all, all the resources and budget and outreach within the community, and find opportunities for our students to uh, interact with, with Americans, which is harder than it sounds. I mean, it's really hard to find Americans who just want to hang out with international students and basically speak English with them. Because, again, people are just even that slight awkwardness from talking to somebody who doesn't have perfect English, for many people, it feels like work. So you have this interesting move from you're in Oklahoma, you go back and forth between China. Now you were a teacher and then you were a school director. And then at some point you landed in the Bay Area and you became a software engineer. How did that transition happen between being a director to saying, you know what, I'm going to be a software engineer, which is frankly, two completely different things. Absolutely. So basically, the way I like to look at it is I went from a transition from managing people, which was what I was doing as a school director. I had this team of all these people and I had all these systems, these back office systems that I managed and created these workflows and stuff. I went from managing people to essentially managing machines. That's what a software engineer does. And programming is just how you talk to the machines tell them what to do. So what I did was I was automating a lot of these back office workflows. I was off automating the immigration paperwork. I was automating the grade reports, attendance reports, enrollment applications, basically everything that could be automated. I was trying to automate it so I could get our teachers and our administrators freed up from their desks so they weren't chained to their computers and they can instead go out and interact with the students, which is what the students really needed. They really needed to talk as much as possible to knowledgeable teachers and native English speakers who could help them prepare for uh, university, prepare for uh, the, I mean, this is a pretty extreme situation going into a university class if, if your English isn't really good. Mm -hmm. um, it's extremely challenging. So we needed to make sure that they were prepared for that. And so in the process of automating all these things, I started to really think hard. Like we became the most efficient school. Like we, we had like the highest increase in, I guess, because we were able to spend so much time with the students. The students went out and became net promoters of our school. Like called in their family and like, hey, you got to send the cousins over here. This place is great. And so we just had like this huge amount of growth as a result of freeing up the uh, teachers and the admin to spend more time with the students. And as a result, we became like the fastest growing school in our system of 60 schools. And at that point, I started to realize, wow, this automation stuff is really helpful. It's really making an impact in people's like not just the quality of life of the people who were working there who didn't have to do these routine tasks all the time but also the students themselves were being able to benefit a lot more from the expertise of the teachers so that's when i started thinking man 
I can only do so much here at this individual school, but if I learn to code properly, I can write software that would help a whole lot of schools be able to do this. We could automate a substantial amount of the admin work that schools have, and then that would just improve the amount of FaceTime that the students got with the teachers. So I eventually left the school completely just to focus on programming, and I hold myself up in a place called uh, the Santa Barbara Hackerspace. I was in the Santa Barbara at the time. Basically, a hackerspace is just what it sounds like. It's it's a whole lot of computers and desks, and it's usually kind of a grungy office or like a sometimes an office, like in a strip mall or something, or sometimes just a garage. Mm -hmm. And basically, people go in there and they play with Arduino, they play with laser cutters, they have all kinds of like at this place, there was just a huge stack of dead Roombas that people were going and reprogramming to do different things. So it was a great environment for me to just learn to code. And I just spent like every day I, I woke up and I went over there and I just coded. And uh, along the way, I sort of discovered like, yeah, learning to code is really hard. <laughs> and if, if I can learn to code and teach other people how to code, then they can go and automate all these rote things. So it was kind of like stepping back even a further layer to look at what an even more fundamental problem was, which is that we don't have nearly enough people who can code. Now, we're going to break this down so that people who don't understand coding or you know just don't understand the whole ecosystem, that they'll be able to follow along here to the point where, again, as I talked about at the top, if they're looking to start a new career or something along those lines, this will be the place for them. But I do want to get a little geeky a little bit here and say that I read an article that you wrote in um, Medium, I believe it was, where it was you titled it Cautionary Tale of Learning to Code My Own, which I thought, man, this article was so awesome because I remember when I first started to learn how to code, you would always hear these different languages thrown around about what you should learn. And then as you started digging in, learning about that particular code, somebody else would come along and tell you a totally different code. And I swear you didn't know what was what. You just wanted to find, hey, where's my value best used at? And you were thrown all over the place. And you talk about it in your article where you're like, hey, first I'm, I'm doing this type of language, then I'm over here doing this language and I'm buying this. Where's your starting free code camp where you're really trying to streamline processes, you know, but let's talk about that from a developer perspective or someone who doesn't know about coding at all. And they're like, well, where do I start at Quincy? How, when I get into coding, be, even before I talk about hackerspace, where do I begin? I know I started at free code camp, but what is the language that I should learn? Where should I start? How would you set that up for them? That's a great question. Well, first of all, I would say, you know, regardless of what you want to do, if you want to build mobile apps, if you want to build, you know, chatbots, if you want to actually build industrial robotics for automating manufacturing, whatever it is you're interested in doing, it's not that different. At the end of the day, programming languages are all pretty similar, and we're all working with basically the same concepts that were pioneered in the 1960s and 1970s. Like the fundamentals haven't changed substantially. So just by practicing coding of any kind, you're you're really building up a competency in, in a lot of different types of coding. You just don't realize it at the time. Mm. And then when you try a new skill, so much of your knowledge will carry over and you'll be surprised how much easier it is to learn a new discipline within the area of, of coding. It's like Karate Kid um, when he told him to, to wax on and wax off the car. And he's like, this is stupid, Mr. Miyagi. I need to... Show me how to do karate. And it's like, no, just go through this process and you'll learn karate, right? Yeah, that's a very good analogy. I love that movie, too. I love Mr. Miyagi. I do, too. He's such a patient teacher. And man, uh, everybody needs a Mr. Miyagi in their life. Uh, 
But I would say if you uh, just stick with web development, I mean, 50% of all developer jobs are basically doing web development in some form or another. And uh, basically, web development, you can take those exact same skills and build mobile apps. The technologies we teach at FreeCodeCamp, for example, Node.js, which is basically a web server. Well, it's, it's technically, it's a, there's this very technical definition of what Node.js is, but it, basically it controls the back end of your app and, and decides what requests need to go where and what files need to go where. Mm. You can use that for Internet of Things. You can use that to control robots. You can use it for all kinds of stuff. I think this is pretty cool because what you guys are doing at Free Code Camp, and I read a story about someone in Madison, Wisconsin, my hometown, by the way, about how they just kind of started going through the certification process. And along the way, they were clicking through the hours and other opportunities came up with another nonprofit, I believe, which you guys kind of helped sync up for them. And they kind of not fell into a job because they were working towards it, but they got a job from it. So the cool thing about this is it really is giving you something or working you towards really having a real job, essentially. So people can go from not knowing coding as they go through free code camp and can really become someone who can code, you know, after a certain period, right? Absolutely. And that's the thing that a lot of people are surprised by is that it's not like uh, going into like medicine or law where there's this hard requirement. You have to do four years of residency or you have to pass the California bar exam or something like that. Like with programming, it's intentionally, I think it's intentionally, um, open where you have such a broad range of people. I mean, you have people who have no college degree getting jobs as developers. Uh, and then at the other end of the range, you have people who have PhDs, people who have worked as physicians before and are just transitioning into the field. So there's just this huge, broad range. And another thing, a lot of these jobs are remote. You don't even necessarily have to physically be in the same place. So a lot of people will just be traveling around, learning the code while they're, you know, backpacking through Europe or whatever. And uh, along the way, they'll meet somebody at a hostel or something that, that needs something built and bam, first client. And next thing you know, you've got, you're basically a freelancer and you've got like a, a, a portfolio of clients you're building work for. And, and that can basically give you the real practical experience you need to be able to go and apply for full-time jobs if you so desire when you get back. There are so many ways into the industry too. You can basically get a job doing like relatively low quality assurance, like testing and stuff. And then, you know, testing, of course, I don't want to say that's all low, uh, relatively low skill. It, it, there are people that are like very experienced, high end testers as well. Mm -hmm. But um, generally, like people, people can come in and basically test existing code and find bugs and report them or um, try to work and fix them. And, and there's so many different entry points into the field. If you're working, we had a free code camp camper who was working at Costco. Basically, he was working as like a copywriter for their their catalogs and their websites and stuff. And he actually transitioned into like data science. And he was like leading a team of, of developers. And so he was like semi-technical. Um, so there, there's a broad range of levels of technical ability as well. And the thing that I just want to reiterate to everybody, even if you're not interested in becoming a full-time hardcore software engineer, just learning a little bit of coding can make you much more effective at your current job, mm. whether that's doing marketing, whether that's working as a teacher, for example, 
Well, that's working as a lawyer, like all, like computers can do all these things for you. And if you want to be able to manage computers and truly unlock their capabilities, you need to learn to code. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100 percent. I think no matter what field you're in, the, you know, you can learn processes and systems that you can put in place. And to the point of the Costco guy, you can look like a genius just by you doing a little bit more than the other people are doing. Or sometimes, you know, not being the extra burden on some of the departments you may have in place and having the, well, it's not my job. And you kind of take the the ownership. You'd be surprised how fast that advance you along. So, you know, Quincy, why was it important to start a nonprofit like Free Code Camp? Because although you call yourself a teacher, you are founder of Free Code Camp. Why was it important to do it as a nonprofit versus, you know, kind of having a paid situation? You hear so many different developer boot camps and stuff out there. So I guess it's a two prong question. One, why was it important to do it free? And number two, how are you different than those that are actually charging? Great question. For me, uh, education is so much more accessible when it's free. Um, you don't have to worry. You, you immediately eliminate any concern about you know socioeconomic status. True. Let's say you're a single parent and you you don't have as much time because you're you're working and you're also taking care of your kid. That's a socioeconomic consideration as well. But at least you eliminate all the monetary aspects of differences in socioeconomic status. And and for me. This is a huge opportunity to level the playing field and to make it so people who don't have tons of money to go back to school and get a graduate degree or people who didn't even finish high school because of you know economic circumstances, for them to basically be able to transition career. So by not requiring any sort of money at all, Free Code Camp is literally completely free. There's no aspect of Free Code Camp that costs any money at all. We basically fund our entire project through um, people buying t-shirts <laughs> and stickers. And uh, in my email blasts, I, I send out an email blast four or five times a week with different articles that uh, our community has written and, and just interesting stuff about technology in general. I included some affiliate links in there to, to different books that I, I think are useful and things like that. So we, we're funding the pro- project through that. And by making it completely free, we don't have to worry about the vast majority of people on earth who don't have a credit card, the average person on earth makes $2 a day. That's that's how much they live off of. So, I mean, you think about that. Most people in America spend more than that on their cell phone bill. That's right. But we do have a lot of people in, in places like Bangladesh, places like Nigeria, who are working through pre-co-camps curriculum and would not be able to use it at all if it costs even a dollar a month or something, you know? They just don't have credit cards. So that way we were able to help a whole lot more people. Another reason why we decided to make it completely free is because we don't have a lot of the things that traditionally make schools expensive. We don't have a staff of full-time teachers. Uh, We don't have a physical building. (laughs) That costs a lot of money, right? It's literally just three people that work full-time on free code camp and everybody else is a volunteer. And because it's a free nonprofit open source project, lots of people are interested in stepping forward and volunteering their time. So we can still get quite a bit accomplished even without a large budget. That's really cool. I know I'm going to buy some stickers for my laptop and I'm I'm being very honest here. I'm a, I'm kind of that laptop sticker geek that you see at the coffee shop. So 
if you want to throw something at me while I'm there, feel free to. I think that's pretty cool how you found some innovative ways like the stickers. If you go on to Free Code Camp's website, you'll see like they sell different merch on there, including the stickers that I just talked about and that Quincy brought up, which I think is really cool. You mentioned having affiliate links, which is a great way to kind of monetize. And Maybe you have this where people can just flat out donate to the cause too, right? Maybe some people that have gotten jobs, maybe come back and, and give a little out of gratitude, maybe. Sure. That's something we're considering adding in the near future. You and I talked a little bit about this, about how education was just getting expensive, or at least I believe that education was getting way too expensive. You brought up Arizona as somebody that's learning how to to bring it down a little bit. And I think it's up to us as civilians a little bit to kind of figure out innovative ways to educate the public, teach them very advanced techniques in some respect and show you that you don't have to try to gout someone to show them how that process works. And that's why I thought free code camp was really, really cool. But the other thing that I wanted to talk about was what do you think is the long-term sustainability around something like this? So I know that you don't have a building, you have three teachers. And so, you know, there's a lot of things you don't have in place that you don't have to worry about sustainability in some respects. But how long do you think you can push something like this up? I imagine forever, right? Since most of it's online. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of online. There's a kind of a a sentiment in software. You write it once and it runs many times or many people read it. And that's basically how our curriculum works. We have, you know, less than a thousand dollars a month in infrastructural costs running this service that serves 400,000 people a month use free code camp. So you think about that, like we're bigger than the biggest university in the world (laughs) and we're running off of a thousand dollars in infrastructure. (laughs) It's uh, it's pretty crazy But that's what you can achieve if you flip the system. If you really look at things from a different perspective, if instead of saying, how can I create this, you know, program that's going to take somebody and put them in a classroom and they're going to hear a lecture and all these things, instead of thinking in that terms, you attack it from like a more piecemeal approach. Like I want to teach one specific discipline and I want everything to just be self graded essentially like on free code camp, all the challenges are graded programmatically. So you, you type in your code and you run it and the test suite runs. It tells you if all your tests pass and if not what you need to go and fix the entire thing is like that. We don't have videos. We do have a YouTube channel. that's quite popular, but they're, it's not part of the curriculum. It's, it's supplementary information. Basically the entire time you're just coding and the computer which is cheap, right? Like we, we all have these supercomputers sitting on our laps or in our pockets and we can pull them out and they can grade our coding all day long if you tell them how to do it. So we're leveraging the extremely inexpensive, ubiquitous computing technology all around us instead of, you know, pestering a teacher to grade a paper over and over. <laughs> so it's little things like that. Like, I don't know if this will work for everything, but for us, it works great. And I think this could, in theory, be applied to a lot of other areas of learning. I think the teacher of the future is more of an instructional designer than necessarily like... uh, So I I think that right now, if you look at teachers, they're basically like hybrid instructional designers and tutors. It's almost like they're performing two very different tasks. If you think about the role of a tutor, they are helping understand your specific individual needs and they're they're helping you learn whatever it is you need next just in time like they're there and they've got things mapped out in their head and then you think about teachers who are also doing the instructional design part they're they're creating the assignments 
They're figuring out how they want to teach a specific concept that they're required to teach. So they're they're using that creative aspect too. I mean, tutoring is also creative as well. But if you think about it, they're two very different skills. So, and then there's the rote kind of clerical skills associated with a teacher, which is grading papers and, and calculating grade reports and stuff like that. Like that stuff can be completely handed off to a computer. But the creative aspects, so what I envision is teachers become vastly more productive because they're no longer doing that those tedious workflows that can be easily automated. And then teachers specialize in either being kind of more tutors or in being more instructional designers. So Quincy, do you think coding is for everyone? And I ask that from a standpoint of the person who feel like they're, you know, 55 years old. Look, I've worked in the industrial parts of business. I'm not really into computers, but I am looking for something new and different. Can that person jump in and do it? Do you think coding is for everyone? Absolutely. I think everybody can learn to code. Whether people are genuinely interested in learning to code is a different question. This is this comes up a lot of times because a lot of people have this notion, which Hollywood, unfortunately, has reinforced where they have like these 15-year-old prodigy geek kids, right? I mean, most programmers are not 15-year-old guys in hoodies. Most successful technology entrepreneurs are not Mark Zuckerberg-aged people. The average age of a successful entrepreneur in the U.S., I think, is like 50 or something, right? <laughs> so people like lose sight of that fact. I mean, computers have been around for a long freaking time, and it's not like engineers just disappear or whatever. I mean, they, they get older. You know, they're de-emphasized in the media. They're kind of quietly in the back getting things done, and some of them are quite famous as well. But I definitely think that people tend to look at the young prodigy hacker. And same way they look at the young prodigy mathematician uh, or the young prodigy artist. And there's definitely a disproportionate amount of interest in what people perceive to be natural genius, as opposed to just hard work over long periods of time, which is what most developers actually, that's how they get good. I do think that, you know, maybe aptitude plays some part, but I don't think that it's such a significant part that people who are otherwise able-minded and can read and do basic arithmetic, I mean, those people can sit down and learn to code if, if they really want to. It's just a matter of persistence because learning to code is a huge body of knowledge that you have to sit down and absorb. And unlike other subjects where, you know, it could be ambiguous as to whether you're wrong, the computer will just constantly, you know, hit errors and crash. And, and it's basically you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. If you can tolerate the computer constantly telling you <laughs> you're wrong and, and you're cool with that, if you want that high level of, you know, rapid feedback and that tight feedback loop, then programming is great. And Again, I just want to emphasize that everybody can benefit from learning the code. I don't think there's anybody on earth who just wouldn't learn, like it wouldn't make their lives any better if they could suddenly just automate different aspects of their life. If they could, we're, we're publishing articles constantly on our Medium publication. And one of the things I just published a few hours ago was this guy, uh, whenever he would go shopping for groceries, he'd be like, oh man, I have to open up my fridge and look at everything and figure out what's almost empty. Then I have to you know, open up all my cabinets and, and write it all down on a piece of paper. And he tried all these mobile apps and stuff and none of it had really made it easier. So he decided, you know what, I'm going to get this thing, uh, like a, a Raspberry Pi, and I'm going to get like a little optical sensor and I'm going to put it next to my coffee jar. And whenever it senses my coffee jar is low, it's just going to reach out to Amazon and order more coffee. <laughs> so whenever, like, and one day in his mail, he'll just get some coffee, opens it up, dumps it in there, and he never has to worry about coffee again, right? So 
I mean, that's just something he just cooked up. He, you know, he just decided to do it for fun, but it, it's saving him time. Oh man, if this you, is getting scary. <laughs> yes. I mean, if you if you do enough of that stuff around the house, pretty soon you're living like Tony Stark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of scary, actually, a little bit. I mean, you know, people are just standing there getting dressed, clothes are shooting over to them, like you said, <laughs> like the Iron Man. Any scarier than the Jetsons? I mean, we've <laughs> romanticized true. this for so long for like the Jetsons got to be like 60 years old. You know, I mean, the Jetsons is just now starting to come true. That's actually a really good point. So let me ask this as we wrap up here. You know, I'm just starting. I want to design a mobile app for my business. Again, I don't have any developer experience, but I decided, you know what? I have a little extra time during the weekend. I'm going to learn how to do this thing myself and I'm going to start coding. One, I go to freecodecamp.com. I get started there. But Quincy just tell me, you know, in a matter of points here, how long will it take? Or what do you think the typical process is for someone to get through from start to finish before they can truly feel comfortable? Now, I know results vary, but just we're speaking on averages here. When can somebody walk away and feel really comfortable that I'm going to design this app? Or maybe they're designing it along the way, but just give us a sense of that. Uh, That's a great question. And the answer is like, it depends on what you want to accomplish, but very early in the program, within like probably about 20 hours worth of coding, you'll start building projects. Throughout the curriculum, you'll build 25 projects. I'll just throw out some examples of the kinds of projects you'll build. You'll build like a personal portfolio web page. Uh, you'll build like a tic-tac-toe game. You'll build or like a recipe box thing where you can like punch in recipes and save them. Uh, you'll build a whole lot of different APIs, like an exercise tracker where you can basically tweet, I did 20 push-ups or whatever, and it'll just get picked up and stored in a database for you. Like all kinds of things like that. So you're going to be building a ton of different projects. You'll build all kinds of data visualizations as well. And then, you know, you can turn around and apply that to a mobile app pretty quickly, uh, or certainly a mobile web app. If you think about most uh, most mobile apps do not take full advantage of like the graphics, graphical power of like an iPhone. Uh, most of them are basically just websites that are a little bit faster because they're native. You can basically take a tool like React Native, which it's an open source library that Facebook's working on. Basically, React is an extremely popular JavaScript library, and now they have a mobile version to build mobile apps. So you don't even need to learn how to program like Objective-C or Android, you can just use JavaScript, which is what we teach. Like you can use JavaScript for everything and you can build that stuff. So our entire curriculum is pretty long. It'll take you 1,200 hours to complete all six of our certificates, which we break everything down into these certificates. So after you complete about 200 hours worth of courseware and the projects associated with it, uh, you get a free certificate that's like verified. You can put in your LinkedIn. People can go and verify that you have it on our website. So that's 1,200 hours. If you, if you do the math, even if you were working four hours a day, that's still like a year. <laughs> but I think uh, very early in the process, you're going to be able to build stuff. It just depends on what specifically you want to build. Also, I'll just point out, you can you can jump around. Like our, our entire curriculum is available. And pub- you don't even have to create an account if you don't want to. You can just jump in and start coding. So it, it's all completely available. And, and if, if you want to skip data visualization, for example, or if you want to skip the back end stuff, you can totally do that. Wow, this is really good stuff, Quincy. So look, you know, for those who want to support the cause, they want to get involved in some respect, or they just want to get started, feel free to share the site. How can people connect with you? Share the YouTube page that you have the supplemental information and videos out on. What can the people look at it and reach out to you on? Absolutely. Well, I'm very active on Medium. If you just Google Quincy Larson, Medium is this blogging website. 
basically like a social blogging. It's kind of like WordPress, except everything's connected. So everybody puts their um, articles in the same place. So I'm very active on that. And that's probably the best place to follow me. So it's just medium.com slash at Quincy Larson. And then I strongly recommend you check out Free Code Camp. If you go to Free Code Camp and just input your email address, uh, create an account and input your email address, even if you never do anything there, I'll start sending you these weekly lists of three links that I think are worth your time. They're the three websites, and then I'll usually include a book that I think is worth reading too. But those are generally, I spend a lot of time finding interesting technology articles and curating them. We have a YouTube channel. Uh, it's just youtube.com slash freecodecamp. And we publish new videos every day on technology. And uh, I personally interview a lot of uh, developers and, and startup entrepreneurs and, and people like that on there as well. So if you want to see some of my interviews there too, really like the best place is just go to freecodecamp.com, check it out, try it out. And if you want to support us, just go to the shop and buy some stickers, 10 bucks shipped. I'll send you a bunch of stickers and uh, that'll support our community. That's awesome. Quincy, you've been very gracious with your time. I really appreciate it. This is so awesome. I'm rooting for you, man. Thank you so much for having me, Priest. Thank you for listening to Missions and Marketplace. If you have a brand or business that you want to take online, or you're already online and looking for more exposure, visit us at AffiliateMission.com, the premier affiliate marketing and management agency. Also feel free to get social with us and check our Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages and share with us your story on how you're leaving a mark in the world. impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious.